The title for the morning is Off the Ecclesiastical Grid. What to do when the church has to go underground. When we planned to do this, and by the way, I, some of you, if you were uh, in Sundays in July, may have heard the first time that I taught through this. Uh, the recording was uh, not working right, and consequently, they did not have a recording of it. Uh, I came in and did a recording uh, with Alex Yee. It covered far more time than we have to be able to go, but I wanted to make sure it was available. So if you want to listen more, uh, if there's anything that you want to cover, uh, please feel free to look it up. It's on the church's website. Why is this significant for right now? Uh, Brad and I, neither one knew how timely this would be for this particular weekend. When... John is preaching about the church confronting the government. That is the time when either the speakers for the church or the lifestyle of the church confronts the state. The predictable next step is that the church will go off the grid. Put another way, they will go underground. This next week, we have the Puritan Conference. At least 1,600 people will be here studying and concentrating and reading about the lives of the Puritans. It can be forgotten that one of the defining moments for the Puritans was in 1662, the Crown issued an edict, a law, Uh, basically requiring all pastors to conform to certain rules of church government, certain rules concerning worship. 2,000 pastors on August 24th, 1662, were turned out of their ministry. Many of them had to find other means of uh, supporting themselves, Uh, By and large, they moved to meeting in the underground in a surreptitious way. So yeah, as we move into our study of the Puritans this week, realize that many of the names that we love the most, Thomas Manton, Thomas Watson, John Bunyan, were required to be a part of what we would call today the underground. John mentioned Elijah's confrontation of Ahab. I'm going to start reading. This is uh, Ahab, um, 1 Kings 16, 33. Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, hill of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his son, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. The next thing we read, now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, 
as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand. Surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. When Elijah eventually decides, and this is according to the book of James three and a half years later, that it was time to confront Ahab. There had been a period of drought for approximately three and a half years. Uh, He first sees a man by the name of Obadiah. This Obadiah is not the prophet we read later on. Uh, He was a man who uh, probably as part of the underground people of God himself, and I will use that term in dealing with the Old Testament to avoid offending any uh, dispensational perspectives. Uh, He's part of the people of God in the Old Testament surreptitiously, and he is working for in the actual palace as Ahab's household steward. Ahab and the power behind the throne Jezebel were not aware of this. Uh, The text tells us in the scripture that they were conducting a search. There may be a certain amount of hyperbole, Uh, But Obadiah tells us that it went throughout the known world. Every king, every monarch, Ahab went to him and forced them uh, to conduct a search and admit or let him know that Elijah was nowhere to be found. While that is happening, while that is happening, Obadiah hides two groups of 50 prophets in caves. The church really was underground, or the people of God, let's put it that way, underground. Moving on, Daniel 11.32. By smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. This refers to Antiochus Epiphanes, who had desecrated the temple uh, he had attempted to subvert many of the Jewish people at the time. Uh, as the text says, they will act wickedly toward the covenant. Then he goes on to say, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. What are we talking about here? There are two meanings to this. The distant meaning, the distant reference is, of course, uh, to the time of the Antichrist and the action that the people of God then present will take. The immediate meaning, however, there was a rebellion Judah Maccabee led a group of people that today we know as the Maccabees. This is in the intertestamentary period. They toppled the monarch at the time, and it is in fact that victory that we celebrate even today at Hanukkah. It is cited with approval. Uh, one incident from that period of time, uh, most what is reviewed in Bruce 11.35, uh, the MacArthur Study Bible notes, if you want to look more carefully or closely at it, will connect the two. The people of God will display strength and take action. 
This was an action that entailed going into the hills, going into the mountains, hiding themselves uh, from the action that would have been taken by way of retaliation by the sitting monarch. Dr. MacArthur was actually, was absolutely totally correct this morning uh, when he said that all too often it is the government that has been the greatest persecutor of the people of God. It is the government that has tripped for the underground. Dr. MacArthur has told us about the role of the church in confronting the under uh, confronting the government. What we want to spend some time today talking about is how do we conduct ourselves in the wake of that confrontation. It has been the real experience of many within the church down through the centuries. We're going to look at a number of examples quickly as we have some women. I'm not going to be uh, an expository biblical sermon. It will be a review of history. Then it will also be a quick statement moving as rapidly as we can in the interest of time and the amount that we have to cover. What do we do? What are the lessons that we learn? Uh, how do we cope with the challenge of having to be in the underground church? You may not find that you are experiencing it. It may be your children. It may be your grandchildren. Pass on down through your family an understanding, a certain sense of how we prepare to cope with that. And I think you'll see we were very much closer than any of us would want to admit uh, two years ago at this particular time. One thing about these people, they are very normal people. They love life, fallible people, and yet there is an element of greatness to them that comes from their obedience to the word of God during a time of crisis. But it was against the backdrop of Elijah. It was against the backdrop of the intertestamentary period, uh, the Maccabean. Come to the time in the immediate wake of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, the people of God, now the church, understood the importance of having to meet quietly, having to meet surreptitiously. Uh, When the day of Pentecost had come, the Lord had told them, wait to receive power. During that period of time, in the first chapter of Acts, we also read that they had to deal with the very real challenge of who would replace Judas Iscariot. Acts tells us when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. We have a good idea as to where that place was, but note carefully that it is not labeled at this particular time in Scripture. Moving on, however, Peter is in prison. You heard Dr. MacArthur refer to Uh, who had an effort to placate the Jews, had James executed, saying that it pleased the Jews. He had Peter arrested. Very likely was going to uh, follow suit with that in short order. 
Technology sometimes works. <laughs> Peter is in prison. He's sleeping. And in the middle of the night, an angel comes to him. Peter is dazed, doesn't know quite what is happening. The angel actually escorts him out of the text tells us, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he had realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who also was called Mark. That would be the author of the gospel of Mark, where men were gathered together and were praying. Peter, of course, knocks on the door. You know the story. Uh, They cannot believe who it is. Eventually, when they do, he's invited in. Uh, Peter, motioning to them after he is entered, text says he motioned with his hand. He described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. We don't know where he went to, uh, but it continues with the idea of having to be uh, surreptitious, having to be uh, secretive in the location at the particular time. Now, uh, the location, it says the house of Mary, the mother of John. Uh, There is good reason to believe that that well was the location where they celebrated the Lord's Supper as well as the location where the believers gathered. Uh, It would have had to be large enough to hold a group that we're told came to an amount of 120 people, but that very likely was the location where they were on the day of Pentecost. Now, the Scripture tells us of at least three other locations where we would refer to, which we would refer to as house churches, This, of course, grows out of the fact that this particular time, there were no buildings uh, within the church, the people of God, specifically dedicated to the purpose. Uh, But we read of a house church in the book of Philemon, a house church that met in the home of Philemon. Colossians 4.15 tells us of a similar church that met in the home of a person we know as Nympha. Finally, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, uh, the house church met in the home of Priscilla and Aquila. Again, uh, the emphasis being on the need to be discreet and sometimes covert. This has continued even into today's China, where the believers refer to their churches as house churches. Uh, We would consider that they belong overall to what we would refer to as the underground church. Why study this topic? I'm going to give you four reasons to prepare for future attacks on the church. The elders here at Grace Community Church uh, individually and to some extent as a group, have been recovered from COVID. One of the lessons from COVID is that we never more than one government mandate away 
in the Western world from having to meet in an underground or a quasi-underground context. We study the topic to fully understand the history of the church in 1962, Banner of Truth, uh, did an episode, an issue, uh, wanting to commemorate the great ejectment of 1662 that I talked about earlier. And they wrote, and I think this may well be Ian Murray, in our comfortable age, we need to recall what Christians once suffered for the gospel in this country. We need reminding of what faithfulness to the truth meant when the conventicle act was in force, when ruinous fines, imprisonment, transportation, that would be uh, the next word that's used, and exile, attended the hidden meetings of persecuted believers. When 5,000 died from the sufferings they endured, when so many Christians were in prison in Bristol, that it was children who continued the services alone. When the streets of Taunton flowed in blood and when religion as Bunyan found during 12 years in Bedford Jail, walked not, quote, in golden slippers in the sunshine and with applause, unquote, but in rags and contempt and hazarded all for God. They will teach us that the church can receive more injury from the sunshine of worldly prosperity than ever she received from the storms of persecution. Oftentimes we need to understand the underground church because there is a precise clarification of focus and we need to move away from elimination of inessentials within our fellowship. There are certain dilemmas that they faced and they will face again and again with proper training we can be aware of and move to avoid them if it is ever necessary. Two years ago, the elders of Grace Community Church issued a document, a remarkable document, uh, and this is not in any way to pat ourselves on the back, but it reminded the church as a whole that it was the elders of the church. It is the church that determines its means of worship. It is the church that determines its doctrine. It is the church that determines its internal government. The government is not to dictate any of those three. This often was what uh, propelled people uh, to have to become part of the underground church. That document had this statement, Christians are therefore commanded not to forsake the practice of meeting together, Hebrews 10, 25, and no earthly state has a right to restrict, delimit, or forbid the assembling of believers. We have always supported the underground church in nations where Christian congregational worship is deemed illegal by the state. Uh, We've recently learned that uh, sometimes churches have to be underground not because of a false mandate we know of at least one situation where terrorist activity in the area that the government has not restrained either deliberately or through a lack of resources is what is causing the church to have to meet underground but grace church 
has always supported the underground church. We will continue to do so. Now, what is the underground church? What are we talking about here? Uh, Some of you who may be familiar uh, with youth camp games may recall that there is a a game that is sometimes played in that context called the underground church. Uh, What it really is is um, it can be used, but it usually is not uh, for the purpose of teaching. We're not talking about that. Quite simply and broadly defined, and I think you've become quite aware of it, it is when the church surreptitiously. I found as I was preparing this the first time, uh, two decisions by two appellate courts of the United States uh, federal Courts of Appeals. That, was a, that is the level of court immediately below the U.S. Supreme Court. One of them uh, really gives a pretty good guideline in terms of what we're talking about. Versus Ashcroft, the court wrote, Christians living in the Roman Empire before Constantine made Christianity the empire's official religion faced little risk of being thrown to the lines if they practiced their religion in secret. That is probably not accurate. If they were caught, there was a substantial risk if they would not proclaim Caesar as Lord. It doesn't follow, however, that Rome did not persecute Christians or that a Christian who failed to conceal his faith would be acting unreasonably. One aim of persecuting a religion is to drive its adherents underground in the hope that their beliefs will not infect the remaining population. Put another way, to minimize their political and social impact. Now, uh, one of my favorite uh, sources of resource, and I'll admit it, much to the amusement of uh, my two sons, Stephen and Mike, is Wikipedia. (laughs) Believe it or not, it usually is a good place to start uh, if you're needing to research something of a historical or a legal nature. But Wikipedia will limit the term underground church to Catholics meeting illegally in mainland China uh, and as distinct from illegally meeting Protestants that are referred to as house churches. As I've indicated already, that distinction probably in the grand scheme of history is not well founded. Uh, we would understand the underground church to refer to the end of that. I'm sorry, as to, and this is totally arbitrary but I think it helps us to understand what we're talking about. We should understand that there are fully underground churches and there are what I would refer to as quasi-underground churches, meeting secretly due to persecution or being illegal. That would be the fully underground. Meeting openly and in plain sight. And some of the house churches in China would fit within this category while doing so illegally and or under persecution. If you think about it, two years ago, we were quasi-underground, most definitely. Uh, Many of our affiliated, our allied uh, brothers and sisters were doing the same. And then at points, 
had to find themselves becoming fully underground. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, The potential punishments may vary greatly. It may be something uh, as minor as a fine. As we mentioned earlier, it also may well be execution if you do not endorse Caesar as Lord. It can be anywhere between that range. Now, my notes say here, try to move quickly. (laughs) So I'll do what I can. The early church, prior to Constantine's Edict of Milan, was largely underground. The Edict of Milan was when Constantine, the church, made Christianity the official religion of Rome. House churches were the norm. They met in catacombs. The ichthus symbol, the early means of maintaining church security. If a man uh, encountered someone, they're talking at the marketplace, and he sensed this guy might be a Christian, he might take his toe and draw a curve. And if the person, they would draw a line making the shape of a fish. Where did this come from? It came from two sources. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, an acrostic that uh, uh, the letters in Greek spelled out the word for fish. It also grew from Christ's statement that the only sign that would be given would be the sign of the fish. Okay? Um, There was a time... My wife tells me when this was on every Bible cover here at Grace Church, uh, we've gotten away from this. So some of you, this may be the first time that you've seen the ichthus symbol. Again, this grows out of the church's heritage as an underground organism. Historical examples, you heard Dr. MacArthur mention Athanasius this morning, exiled five times for a total of 17 years, and by four divergent Roman emperors. The Valdensians. This was a group that emerged uh, something on the order of 1170. They are still active uh, in possibly changed, uh, modified format even to this particular day. The Valdensians. They were active in Italy, Switzerland, to some extent in France. But he cites, uh, we have a man here from Czechoslovakia. That is where the Hussites were. They were disciples of John Huss, burned at the stake. Uh, they fought for the truth. They were forerunners of the Reformation. The Lollards, John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe, the man who... Uh, did much of the translation of the scriptures, uh, got the start of that going in England during that time. Some of the early Anabaptists, uh, many of the early Anabaptists, they were the group, uh, some of us are inherited or have relatives that uh, come within that group. Uh, They emphasized the importance of believers' baptism. There were, uh, to be sure, Uh, There were some that uh, went off the rails, and one of the reasons why they went off the rails, and this is a lesson to be learned, was not sticking closely to the written word of God. We agree with them on the importance of the doctrine of the gathered church, 
we would not necessarily, we would also the importance of believers' baptism. We would not concur with them on all aspects of doctrine. Uh, and that's one of the points to be learned in studying the underground church. There are times where peripheral doctrines may not be in full agreement, but at the core, there will be a commitment to Christ and a commitment to the doctrine of faith uh, and salvation by faith alone. The Walloons, French-speaking Calvinists from the Netherlands and Belgium, again, often required to be uh, surreptitious. The French Huguenots, I cannot spend much time thinking about the Huguenots without beginning to be gripped very much uh, emotionally in my spirit. France did what was probably the greatest brain drain of all time when Catherine de' Medici, the power behind the French throne, uh, led the persecution of the French Huguenots. The French Calvinists, those who believed in justification by faith alone, August 4th, 72, St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. The, the streets, the lakes, the rivers ran red with the blood of the Huguenots. If you were to look on Wikipedia's list of Huguenots, you will be amazed at the talented individuals whose roots go back to that group of people. It lists... 107 young men who died uh, as a result of their faith, in most cases being sentenced to serve on the gallows a living death that would often cause much suffering uh, and there would be no way out. They met, they referred to, you'll see the term, assemblies in the desert. They had to meet surreptitiously at times. The London Underground Church, and this is in the wake of um, the death of Edward prior to Marion, uh, prior to Mary, excuse me, the Mary we know today as the inspiration for the alcoholic drink, the Bloody Mary. That drink, the title of that drink is Well Earned. She is the one who led to the execution. You heard Dr. MacArthur mention Hugh Latimer. A number of the Protestant uh, Puritan leaders at the time were burnt at the stake. Many of them left for Geneva. Uh, And again, you had that drive for the church to survive by going underground. The Scottish Protestants, John Knox... They met surreptitiously in groups that were referred to as the Privy Kirks. A generation later, perhaps more accurately a few generations later, you had the Scottish Covenanters. The Scottish Covenanters were required to meet secretly. Uh, the leading individual for that movement was referred to as, Ale- as Alexander Henderson. Uh, the groups were referred to as conventicles. A conventicle was a group, and they were prohibited by the English crown. Uh, they would have as few as five people, often many more than that. 
the conventicles. Um, on a personal note, there were two George Crawfords that I've come across in church history. One was a supporter of John Knox. The other was an individual who fought in one of the Covenanter battles. Battle is referred to as uh, the Battle of Runyon when he was captured by the He has left a testimony. Uh, you can find it online. A very eloquent testimony of faith in Christ. And he was executed in December of 1666. Don't think I didn't have that on my mind two years ago when we were trying to think through what our appropriate course of action would be. The post-ejectment English Puritans. We've talked about that already. The 20th century Korean church under Japanese rule. There's a great book. You can get it in the bookstore. It's titled The Korean Pentecost by William Blair and Bruce Hunt. They make the comment, no one person knows or ever will know the number and names of all of those who died as a result of their opposition to shrine worship. They resisted uh, the Japanese tyranny from 1910 through 1945 that required shrine Shinto worship. Uh, And then, of course, uh, after the communist takeover, they resisted then as well. The German Confessing Church under Dietrich Bonhoeffer, probably the greatest leading individual. The Confessing Church uh, covered approximately 18% of the German church before Hitler took over. They fought a battle from 1933 up through the end of World War II. By and large, however, most of that battle takes place between 1933 and 39. They are fighting for the truth of Scripture. Hitler, in an effort to subvert, in an effort to uh, persecute the Jews, was attempting to distort the Scripture, attempting to co-opt and subvert the church, much the same way as Antiochus Epiphanes had done so uh, in the intertestamentary period. Some of the greatest, most heroic individuals you will ever find, and they are by and large unknown in the uh, Western church, were pastors there at the time. A man by the name of Julius von Jan, and his preacher, Paul Schneider. Schneider had been a decorated uh, army veteran in World War I, becomes a pastor, confronts the government by refusing to serve communion to Nazi party members. Pastored two churches at the same time, was placed in a concentration camp. When they released his body to his wife, they did so in a sealed coffin so she would not see what they had done to him. He had preached the gospel, climbed up to a window, and preached out of his prison cell while he's in a concentration camp. Tremendous courage. The 20th century Russian church. Heroism is so much the norm at that particular time and in that particular group that probably no one individual uh, really stands out uh, as the spokesperson or as the foremost. 
That's not the case in China. The Chinese house movement, house church movement, probably the greatest individual, and an individual will still tell you when they're from China, I've had this happen, uh, he was the real thing, a man by the name of Wang Ming Dao. Tremendous courage. He resisted both the Japanese and again, uh, he resisted Mao and the communists after the communist takeover. Uh, he was placed in a concentration camp of distress. Uh, he recants, he goes out, he realizes he recanted his recantation. They put him right back into prison. He stayed there until they literally forced him out in a political move. Tremendous character. The Eastern European Church, a man by the name of Richard Vernbrand. The church in Uganda under Idi Amin, Kifa Simpanji, uh, wrote a book. It's available a number of years ago, A Distant Grief. The church in the Islamic world, we are aware of that. And then the Western church under COVID. The quote you see in front of you, I was interacting with uh, one of our TMS grads in Western Canada. Uh, I will not release his name. Irv Bradwell will know him. Made the comment, and I was wanting to see how it was going for him. He texted me this. This is a direct quote. When they're having to meet in the underground, he says, everything is good on the edge of your seat, but good. Every time someone comes late and I look up while preaching, I wonder if it's the police. But so far, we've avoided any trouble. You get a sense of that stress that they're dealing with. Uh, What are the lessons we learned from the underground church? Probably one of the best sources. I mentioned his name earlier. Uh, He is probably the most um, well-known individual from the uh, church that had to deal or had to survive in Eastern Europe under uh, communist rule is Richard Vermbrand. Uh, Vermbrand writes an article preparing for the underground church. He gives 13 principles. I've incorporated most of them into this. Uh, one thing that is very significant there, he says, be certain of makes the concept. doubt makes traitors. If you are not sure of what you believe when you profess Christ, you need to nail that down. If you have any wavering, it can lead you to the point of dissimulation. He makes the comment, understand the continuity of identity with biblical precedent. By the way, this article is available. Uh, Let me just quickly go through a few more principles. First, realize that the government, the official established church, or both of them acting together may malfunction and become ravenous wolves. One of the first things to learn, and we've been talking about that already this morning. Be ready to reassess priorities. What's really important in your life? It's not what's really important to me. There are other things that really count, and we at times need to reassess what is significant in our lives. Continue in the Word. First, Second Timothy three fourteen through 15. The importance of expository preaching, the text. 
There's a book that was written of sermons preached under Hitler's regime. And they refer to something called the text sermon. That is the attachment of the sermon to a biblical text. The Bible text is not merely a motto placed at the head of the sermon. It is not merely the occasion of all sorts of associations, not merely a peg on which to hang a theme chosen by the preacher, but should be in concrete control of the preacher. The text controls what is preached, put it that way. The sermon should make this text more perspicuous to the hearer. At the same time, it should give pleasure so that one is thankful for it and be a source of guidance for life today. The preacher's subordination to the text frees him from all other authorities. Okay? The truth is what will liberate. The value of memorization. The underground church often has to deal with uh, situations where written copies of the text are in short supply. And they have to remember what they have memorized. I'm not a great one for this myself. Uh, But this is extremely important to the survival of the church. One of the challenges they face in the underground church is the danger of doctrinal aberration when the word is not widely available. Randy Alcorn wrote a book about the underground church in China, and he points out, dealing with examples, that this kind of thing can occur uh, in that particular context. Continue in prayer. We've seen that. Uh, Acts 12, we're back there again. This is how the church was reacting to the persecution that had killed James and had Peter next on the list. Wormbrand refers to something referred to as spiritual disciplines. Uh, He's not altogether clear if he means continuing in the word and continuing in prayer, we would heartily endorse, heartily agree. If he goes beyond that, we would have a few questions. Realize the value of a biblically-based document or confession summarizing the church's position on the issues at hand. Believe it or not, uh, the Institutes of the Christian Religion were precisely that kind of a document. Uh, Calvin initially wrote that book uh, to explain what the church was, who they were, and directed it to the King of France. The Barman Declaration is prepared by the German Confessing Church. Tremendous independence of the church rejection to the word of God. The Scottish National Covenant, we referred to the Covenanters, that is the document that they were uh, acting upon. Sometimes a rallying phrase or battle cry becomes extremely helpful. One indigenous Korean lay pastor, man by the name of Lee Yanji, preached a sermon from Matthew 24, 13, which reads, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The battle cry of much of the Korean resistance was to the end, to the end. I will say it 
in Korean. I apologize to any who uh, understand Korean well, but as I understand it, the phrase in Korean is gut kaji, to the end. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that much. Question is, we have to address ourselves. How dear to us is truth, the truth, the God who is truth and cannot lie? We have to have a passion for truth. Expect infiltration. The 12 were infiltrated. Alexander may well have infiltrated Paul's inner circle at one point. Demas certainly did. Both left. Kephas Simpanji in the Ugandan Church of the Redeemer learned that one of his elders was reporting to the forces of Idi Amin what was going on within the church at that time. He mentioned it to another elder, and he says, Kepha, there is no community on earth where there is not a Judas. Expect infiltration as a result of that. We have to, at times, limit access to screened individuals. Uh, Some of our brothers uh, were having to do that two summers ago when they had to meet in a fully underground context. I will not mention names. Uh, Some of you can guess, but this is happening. Be ready for times of crisis. You're familiar with uh, Ephesians 6 and the passage concerning the armor of God. Keep your armor on. Be ready for the day of evil. In this case, since the time of Christ, have been days of evil. And yet there are times when the evil one throws everything at the church imaginable. We have to be ready for that. Be ready for times of crisis. Develop a biblical perspective on torture and physical punishment. Vermbrand points this out. Uh, he points out, he says, look, you get used to being able to handle tremendous pain and punishment when you're playing sports like rugby. Develop a similar mental perspective that will allow times of physical punishment. We have fortunately not had to experience that here, but if that happens, keep in mind Colossians 1.24 tells us The torture that is inflicted on the people of God ultimately is intended for Christ. Okay? Do not love our lives, Revelation 12, 11. Realize that our love for Christ may jeopardize physical health and our economic prosperity. That's a quote from Revelation 12, 11. They overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even when faced with death. Our love for Christ is supreme over our love for our families. Shortly after the end of World War II when the communists had taken over in Eastern Europe, they summoned a wide group of church leaders together, pressuring them 
to publicly make statements uh, that in some ways would incriminate or retract their commitment to the gospel. Richard Vermbrand is his wife now. Vermbrand. Sabina Vermbrand is one of those uh, unsung, largely unsung heroes in history of the church. She hears this. Here's what is being said. Turns to her husband. And she says, when you get there, stand up and wash the shame from the face of Christ. They are spitting in his face. Well, Vermbrand, of course, would have been inclined to do the same thing, but he looks at her and he's testing her commitment. Does she know really what she's saying? And he says, if I do, they'll send me to jail. She looks at him and she says, I don't want a coward for a husband. That injects iron into the heart of a man, into the heart of a man of God. The Korean Pentecost notes, in so many cases, those who were faithful to the end were backed by a consecrated wife, a real prayer warrior. She would not pray for her husband's release, that he would be strong and of good courage, again that phrase, to the end. Vermbrand listened to his wife. Most of us who are husbands would do well to do more of that. Uh, He went forward. He made the statement. Found himself sent to prison for 13 years. She at times did not know where he was. But he became in many ways the leader of the underground church in Eastern Europe. John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress, is written by Bunyan when he is in prison for a period of 12 years. He could have easily gotten out if he would have made a commitment to obey a command that he knew was totally wrong. Definite courage every time he goes. Train leaders who are ready to serve. And you have the citation to 2 Timothy 2.2. Train up men who are able to teach others. 1 Timothy 5.1.9. One of the problems that the underground church faces is that there are times in which there needs to be very quick and prompt transfer of pastoral responsibility. Uh, the phrase ordination by cell phone refers to a situation. Uh, the church had an informant. The informant was in the police department in China. The phone rings. The informant is saying, They're on the way. The church dispersed. One man stayed, the pastor, reasoning that if they caught him, they would not be searching for the other brothers and sisters. But before he did, he handed his cell phone to one of the other who was now the pastor. That illustrates a problem to be avoided. It also illustrates a need that we need to be aware of and be training men of God who are able to train others and who are able, if need be, to assume the pastoral responsibility. Be diligent to maintain unity. One of the lessons we learned from COVID is that we are not as united as we need to be in the leadership of the church. We went into COVID and people came out angry at times. 
limit your words and learn to be silent. There was slander going on of believers by other believers during that period of time. Vermbrand points out that if this occurs in the underground church, careless words, careless words, even words of a complimentary nature, can lead to the apprehension, imprisonment, and sometimes even the execution of a godly man merely because words were carelessly used. Limit your words, learn to be silent, be diligent to maintain the bond of unity. That should be 4, verse 3. No unnecessary quarrels or conflict. Get over them. We need to make sure that if we are in conflict with another brother or sister, another body of believers, it is for a necessary reason of principle. Learn not to over-answer a question. And this is an ethical challenge the church faces uh, when its people are being interrogated, being questioned. Vermbrand writes about a man who was on his way to a Bible study and he is uh, accosted by the police and asked where he's going. They made the comment. He says, my older brother has died. We are gathering to read his testament. (laughs) You like that, huh? Uh, Another situation, a believer was asked by a police officer Police officer knew he was a believer. He says, are you guys still meeting? The believer looked at the officer and he says, comrade, you know it is illegal to have meetings. (laughs) And that was all he said. The point being, there are times in which we need to avoid over answering a question. Uh, When I counseled and represented people in deposition, you always counseled them Do not say more than yes or no if yes or no will do the job. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But we need to learn to be discreet and careful in our communication. Resist brainwashing. Romans 12, 2. Let yourselves be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Learn to cope with or embrace time of solitude. He found himself, let's get the grammar right, Vermbrand found himself in solitary confinement far more often than he wished. What did he do during the time? He pondered scripture. He tells us that he preached sermons, realizing that God would hear and that that word would remain. He preached sermons that helped him to remember them when he was finally released. Finally, and this may well be the most important question, most important lesson, fix your hopes and expectations exclusively on Christ. Uh, Kepha Simpanji tells us that uh, his church under Idi Amin, the point where he says, together we determined to make Christ the beginning and the end of all our expectations. We determined to have no hope except that which was derived from Scripture. How do we wrap this up? What do we bring this to an end? Uh, as I was thinking about this, First Peter 1, 13 tells us we need to gear our 
uh, one passage, one hymn that we've often sung, uh, really seems to sum up where the underground church is. You'll see the lyrics of the first two verses. Though with a scornful wonder men see her sore oppressed, by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. Yet saints their watch are cry goes up, how long? But soon the night of weeping will be the morn of song. Mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore. Till with the vision glorious her longing eyes are blessed, and the great church victorious will be the church at rest. Church is not always going to have to be underground. There will be a triumph. The church will be at rest. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for the patience with me of these believers today. Father, I pray that you would use the time that we have spent together to strengthen our commitment to the truth, our commitment to Christ, and our commitment to his church. We ask only, Lord, that you be exalted. Forgive us for our shortcomings. We trust you. We believe in you. We look forward to your imminent return, even now. Amen.